For Radio Catskill, this is Rosie Starr. Welcome to Farming Country, locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. Today, we honor the late WJFF volunteer John Nordstrom, who was Farming Country's first producer. It was suggested to me that maybe I could host and produce a show on farming and country life, and that was the genesis of Farming Country. And Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights today's partial solar eclipse. But first, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Giles Snyder. Secretary of State Antony Blinken calling for the protection of civilians in both Gaza and Israel. It is vitally important uh, that all of us look out for, uh, for civilians, uh, and we're working together to do exactly that. Uh, in particular, uh, working on establishing safe areas uh, in Gaza, uh, working on establishing uh, corridors so that humanitarian assistance can reach people who need it. Lincoln speaking in Riyadh today where he met with his Saudi Arabian counterpart as Palestinians flee northern Gaza ahead of an expected Israeli ground offensive a week after the Hamas attack that left some 1,300 Israelis dead. The Palestinian Health Ministry says more than 2,200 Palestinians have been killed and nearly 10,000 wounded in Israeli airstrikes. Along with residents, humanitarian groups have also been ordered to leave northern Gaza. Iman Trabolsi is with the International Committee of the Red Cross. She spoke to NPR by phone from Beirut. It's very hard to, to find safety or to say that anywhere is safe around Gaza. Our colleagues are reporting to us that eviction notes over the past days, they were almost in every neighborhood around Gaza and therefore technically speaking, nowhere is safe. President Biden posted a message on social media a short time ago that the U.S. is working to surge humanitarian aid to Gaza. Twelve people have died in immigration detention centers since President Biden took office the latest at the Port Isabel Detention Center in South Texas. Texas Public Radio's Gage Davila reports. 32-year-old Julio Cesar Cherino Peralta died in custody on October 8th. He is the second man to die at the Port Isabel Detention Center under the Biden administration. Earlier this year, the Office of the Inspector General found that PIDC violated numerous standards for detainee safety. Stacy Sa is the program director at the nonprofit Detention Watch Network. And why can't we welcome people with dignity and treat people with humanity rather than detaining people and putting them in really dangerous and even deadly conditions? And we know that this happens over and over again. Why, why should we let this continue? ICE has not disclosed a cause of death. I'm Gage Davila in McAllen, Texas. 85,000 healthcare workers are cheering a tentative deal in labor talks at Kaiser Permanente. NPR's Andrea Shu reports. Negotiators have reached a tentative agreement on a new contract with Kaiser Permanente. The deal would raise wages by 21% over four years and establish a minimum wage of $23 an hour and more in California. Acting Labor Secretary Julie Sue helped broker the deal. This agreement demonstrates what is possible when workers have a voice and a seat at the table. The hope is that higher wages will slow turnover and improve patient safety. The healthcare workers still have to ratify the agreement. Voting begins next week. Andrea Shu, NPR News. And you're listening to NPR News. Welcome back to this special edition of Farm and Country on Radio Catskill. I'm your host, Rosie Starr. On today's show, we honor volunteer John Nordstrom, who was Farm and Country's first producer. 
John recently passed away, and we dedicate this show to him. It would have been his 70th birthday. We'll hear heartfelt sentiments and audio samples from some of the WJFF volunteers that worked with John. But first, here is this week's Star Talk report. John Nordstrom held high regard for Keith Hubbard, the producer of Star Talk. I'd like to think John is enjoying today's partial solar eclipse. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this special edition of Farm and Country. For Farm and Country, I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. This afternoon, the new moon will swing directly in front of the sun, setting up a solar eclipse. The new moon will not completely cover the sun, so a ring of sunshine will surround the new moon. This type of eclipse is called an annular eclipse. However, this ring of fire eclipse will only be visible in a narrow band arcing from southern Oregon to south Texas. Instead, we will see a partial solar eclipse. The partial eclipse will begin at 12.08 p.m. when the moon drifts in front of the sun from the right. It will reach its maximum eclipse at 1.21 p.m. At the time of maximum eclipse, the moon will be covering 23% of the sun on the sun's lower right side. The partial eclipse will end 1 hour and 14 minutes later at 2.34 p.m. as the moon will be on the sun's lower left side. As with all solar eclipses, it is important to never look directly at the sun. The only way to safely view the sun will be to either filter the sun's rays using eclipse glasses or to project an image of the sun. You can make your own projector by cutting a circle and a piece of paper and placing a white piece of paper beneath it. Hold the cut out piece of paper toward the sun and move the white piece of paper forward or backward until the sun's image appears. Watch as a partial solar eclipse reaches its maximum at 1.21 p.m. this afternoon. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. Production of Farm and Country began in 2011 with the belief that our rural community offered an abundance of Farm and Country beauty. John Nordstrom knew there were and still are ears eager to hear about it. This is Pat Kardash for Farm and Country, and I'm here speaking with John Nordstrom, who is our intrepid creator and producer of Farm and Country. John, I'd like our listeners to know how you got involved with WJFF and why you created Farm and Country. I had heard an announcement on WJFF when I moved to Calicoon, and they were looking for an opener as in hosting Morning Edition, and, and I called. That's where I started, was was as an opener. Right. And uh, I guess about a year or two into my duties here, it was suggested to me that maybe I could host and produce a, uh, a show on farming and country life, and that was the genesis of Farm and Country. And as I thought about it, I knew that no one person could possibly 
do this show, and that's when I started speaking with people within the WJFF community and asked them if they would be interested in doing interviews or regular segments for Farm and Country. And that was the beginning of the idea and the format for Farm and Country. And I'd also like to mention that, of course, Rosie now is a co-producer and host of the show as well. And, you know, she's been a godsend to me in, in being able to maintain doing this show because it's not an easy show to put together. What's it like working with volunteers? It's actually quite rewarding. The people who volunteering on Farm and Country, for the most part, have never had experience in interviewing, but they learn by doing it. And I actually love watching the progress of the contributors to Farm and Country as they get better as they do it. They get better and better and better at it. They get better at their editing. They get better at their presentation. And I think, as you know, Pat, it's sometimes, or at least in the beginning, it can be a very uncomfortable experience putting yourself out there to present yourself on the radio. And it can be somewhat intimidating. And what I've loved seeing is the progress of everyone who contributes to the show. What kind of support can be offered to someone who thinks that, well, maybe I'd like to try that, but I don't know anything about it? Well, I didn't know anything about it when I started. And if I can learn it, I guarantee you <laughs> anyone can learn this uh, this craft of radio. If you're willing to put in a bit of time and, you know, you must not worry about, oh, my voice is terrible because there is no bad voice. There are only individual voices which everyone has something to say. And it's not about having a perfect tone to your voice or anything else. It's about being curious and wanting to learn things. Or in the case of like Pat and Jim Sanders with For the Birds, they share their love for birding. They bring knowledge of our local bird populations to our listeners. Good morning. This is Jim and Pat Sanders for Farm and Country, and our program is For the Birds. For the last several weeks, and continuing now, The great annual migration of birds has been happening all around us. Sometimes it's as subtle as a single warbler or a hummingbird passing through. Sometimes it's more apparent, like the flocks of a dozen or more yellow-shafted flickers or flocks of robins feeding together on our lawn, as they have been for the past few days. And sometimes it's impossible to miss, as a huge flock of Canada geese wing their V-shaped way south, honking loudly. And then the same with gardening segments. You know, people share their knowledge. And again, in the interviewing process, the reporters are curious. And that's really all you have to be. And as far as the recording of the interviews, they're not tough. Of course, we take care of lapses in in communication within that interview. And that also is taught to the reporters as well. The editing process is taught to anyone who joins our crew because we do want people to do their own editing, if at all possible. Here I am with Dirt Diva Adrian Pachano, 
who produced a series of short segments called The Garden Girl. We had the occasion a few years ago to meet up in the Tustin Heritage Community Garden during the autumn season. We're standing in a garden. We're in mid to late autumn, and there's such a natural beauty about a stage of a garden at this time. The colors and the way the plants look. Just describe a little bit about what we're looking at. This garden has a mix of annual flowers, vegetables, and perennial flowers, and so we're seeing the remnants of all the vegetables right now. And then it looks like everybody's left their seed heads intact, so we've got the perennial flowers with their seed heads that can still be harvested. Everything's sort of like a shade of rusty brown offset by the green of the things that are still producing like the kale and the Brussels sprouts and the chives and the thyme. Those things will stay green for a while. So it's really beautiful. It's sort of like a muted palette, like a monochrome palette <laughs> this time of year instead of like the gushing palette that you get in June and July. So it's a lot of brown and tan and sort of a garden with its bones exposed. I love it. That's the nice way of describing it. And then the garden will go to bed and sleep for the winter. Yeah, it depends on the level of maintenance the individual gardeners in this plot want to do. Like some of them will probably just leave their beds as they are now with the debris and the the seed heads and the dead material in the bed. And some will clean out the beds totally and then put straw on them for the winter. That's what I love about a community garden. You get that full spectrum like of all the different styles of gardening this garden's actually quite neat um, looks like they're keeping on top of the weeding and the mulching and the layout is really nice nice big beds and also there's a beneficial to animals and birds oh, leaving yeah. things behind like this Oh yeah, definitely. Anytime you leave a seed head on a plant, that a bird will come harvest it, a squirrel will come harvest it. So yeah, I, I like to try and leave some things with the seed heads on them. Rudbeckia, poppies, sunflowers, broccoli, some things that have seeds in them that the birds will pick. Yeah, it's quite pretty, even when it snows. When those things get snow on them, they're still quite pretty. Thank you. You're welcome. Now, there are some instances, as you know, Pat, because you're in, totally, in, completely instrumental in editing Bernie Klein's interviews. Well, Bernie Klein is one example where he doesn't care to edit, and he just doesn't want to spend his time doing that, and, and you have been more than willing to, uh, to edit his interviews, and they are well done, of course. I'm going to compliment you on that, Pat. Good morning, everyone. This is Bernie Klein with Farm and Country, and I'm sitting here today with Todd Friedman. And Todd used to be a businessman in New Jersey, and then, well, we'll let Todd tell the story. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. How you doing? Good. How are you? So tell us. Here we are. We're at a farm here in the town of Liberty. What's the name of your property here? Arthur's Acres Animal Sanctuary. Our slogan is rescue, rehabilitate, and educate. So we rescue the animals, we rehabilitate them, yes. and we use their stories to educate the public. There are ways, if someone is not interested in learning the editing process, 
that we can still use contributions from people who aren't interested in doing the editing process. I happen to like editing. So do I. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's kind of fun to, you know, to make people sound really good. I'm really proud of what the whole crew on Farm and Country has brought to our listeners. I think it's informative. I think it's fun. As I listen to it, even though I've edited, I still listen to it over the radio so that I can hear the same thing that those who have tuned into Farm and Country hear. It seems to me that it is over almost before it begins. Thank you so much for this information, John. I'm sure our listeners are going to be very interested. This is Pat Kardash for Farm and Country. Here is former WJFF Radio Catskill staff member Andrea Eddings-Blue. John recruited me as a contributor to Farm and Country. John handed me my first recorder, sent me on my first field assignment, and gave me my first sound editing lesson. Even though he was such a hothead, I remember him being very patient as I learned. I remember finding John in the production studio every Friday morning. He would arrive at dawn and would toil for hours. He had high standards, and it was important for him to produce the best possible show for the listeners every week. He was outspoken, straightforward, short-tempered, unpredictable, and a whole lot of crazy. He had passion, talent, and a lot of wisdom. I was lucky enough to call him a dear friend. There was no one like him. This is Sonia Hedlund, Apple Pond Farm, and the WJFF volunteer. To remember John Nordstrom. Once you've met him, you'll never forget him. He had a lot of personality, both smooth and rough places. But my best recollection of him is his energy to get farm and country radio show up and running. He was the one with a couple other people who sparked a discussion about why don't we do a live show here that we produce about farming? After all, we live in the Catskills and it would be something that would engage our listeners. I do miss him. Sometimes he could be a bit gruff, but I certainly was glad I met this very unusual man. In 2014, WJFF volunteer and friend Martin Springetti introduced me to John Nordstrom, and soon afterwards, John invited me to join the team. John was in production with volunteer Charlie Sanborn and wanted to hear my audio editing skills, so he asked me to finalize this segment on model train sets. Farming Country, this is John Nordstrom, and joining me in the studio this morning is Charlie Sanborn of Livingston Manor. Charlie is a model train enthusiast, and we are going to discuss the art of rural landscaping of model railroads. Good morning, Charlie. How are you? Uh, good morning, John. I'm well, thanks. What are some of the inspirations for the scenery that you build for these train sets? Oh, I get inspiration and context from the area we live in here. Sullivan County is just ripe with inspiration. And certainly winter has been very inspiring scenically. And uh, one of the railroads I'm working on right now is a winter scene and going through Parksville, the pillows of blue ice cascading down our 
awe-inspiring. And I definitely plan on incorporating some of those images into the Model Railroad project I'm working on. I would look forward to seeing what you could do with these cascading sheets of ice. Well, it's been a little difficult to get around in when you like to do a lot of hiking in the woods, as I do, uh, walking with the dog and some cross-country skiing and stuff. You can definitely pick up reference material there. Do you bring along a camera when you're out on these treks? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I take photographs all the time. I mean, it's as much as the scenes that I make are a combination of memories and impressions, the photographs are definitely helpful for reference because you can't remember it all. And uh, I like to incorporate a lot of colors, no matter how subtle, even in winter environments, as much as everything seems white, it's really not. And uh, so we get all sorts of incredible colors and scenes. And especially with architecture, details are you know tough to recall from memory. So it helps to have the camera with you and use photographs for references. And the trick is being random and organic. You know, it's tough to relax and let yourself do something that looks like it just happened that way, but you've engineered it that way. And even in nature, nature has rules. And so if you're following the rules of geology and natural weathering and things like that, you pick up on how stuff in nature works and should look in order to be comfortable to the eye. This is not only paint, but you're also sculpting this terrain and these geographical elevations and the streams out of foam. So you're actually a sculptor as well as an artist, and as in painting. I'm working on the landscape painting aspect of it. There are certainly landscape artists in Sullivan County that are far more gifted than myself, but... Um, like doing it and been doing art my entire life. This is just a different medium. My favorite landscapes to model are, are rural ones, and I love farms landscapes. So I like to include barns and silos and cows. The Sullivan County is a great inspiration for the kind of work that I like to do. I was stunned with the realism of these scenes, and the trains are almost secondary to what you do, aren't they? That is a very accurate observation, is that I do try and make the train secondary to it. There are certainly different desires and approaches to model railroading, and some folks like to see a lot of trains running in their model railroads. I think that a model railroad that lends itself to realism is one where the trains are dwarfed by the scenery, not the other way around. I know that this hobby of yours is something that has almost possessed you. Some of them I've built for private collectors that wanted train sets uh, in their residence, and so they are built and sold or custom installations. And the first full model railroad that I built was the 2 by 4 N scale, and that one I'll never sell. That's achieved heirloom status because it's about 23 years old now, and uh, I'm keeping that one. <laughs> oh, that's uh, how wonderful. Yeah. Charlie, I can't thank you enough for joining me today. It's been my pleasure. For Farm and Country, this has been John Nordstrom and Charles Sanborn, Charlie, talking about modeling trains on Farm and Country. I've got a thing about trains. This is Laura Chavez-Silverman, founding naturalist of the Outside Institute and former on-air contributor to WJFF's Farm and Country Show, where I had the privilege of working with John Nordstrom for several years. What a gentleman he was, and what a great voice he had. 
John was always so supportive and once sent me Andrew Moore's book on pawpaws, igniting a passion in me for this native fruit for which I will always be grateful. I miss John, but his legacy of kindness and community service and good humor lives on. I'm Christine San Jose. The connection with JFF was, I've just always loved poetry. I'd listened to JFF and enjoyed the programming at JFF, and I thought, hmm, maybe JFF could have a tiny bit of poetry. And I knew Sonia Hedlund on JFF, and I said, oh, do you think anybody might be interested in poetry? And Sonia asked John Nordstrom, who was starting the farm and country program. And John apparently had said, no, but have her send me something just in case. And John very graciously said, yes. And that was it. My name is Martin Springetti. I got to know John Nordstrom when we uh, served together on the board of trustees at JFF. He was kind of loud and gregarious, and I immediately liked him. <laughs> it turned out that he grew up in Iowa. Since I am from South Dakota, we shared a lot of stories about our youth in the Midwest. John was a very kind person who helped whoever needed it. He was of great help to his neighbor and friend Phyllis Billick in her time of need. Our time on the board was one of change. The station was gifted to Property and Liberty by Barbara Martinson. Barbara is a lady who's been quietly behind many cultural and community projects in our area. The board decided to move the station from Jeffersonville to the Liberty property and to sell this property that we called the Greenhouse to help pay for the move. We had a lot of work to do and fix up before we could sell it. John and I took on the floors. We rented sanders, sanded and sanded for days, and then stained the floor with polyurethane. It took uh, quite a while. Ken Hilton and his friends then came in and painted the walls and the ceiling, and Steve Richter did uh, a lot of work outside with chainsaws and calling away dead trees. And it showed me the intense commitment that John had to uh, the radio station, and he had earlier started the program called Farm and Country, which is now hosted by Rosie Starr. His deep, rich voice resonated with many of us, and he made some of the most legendary station IDs that I've ever heard. This was also a time of transition for John. He trained for a new career as a card dealer at the casinos and met the love of his life. He enjoyed driving fast cars and was living life to the fullest, and then he got sick. Angela Page. I want to talk a little bit about him outside of radio. I had an issue which I posted on the Upper Delaware Network, and he said, I can come over and fix that, which he did. He came over and he vented properly, because it was improperly vented, my cooktop out properly out the side of the house. And he was cheerful and helpful and reasonable and bubbling about a woman that he'd met. We liked having him here. And that's just a tiny experience about him outside of the radio. Again, thanks for doing this for John. It's Barb Demarest here. 
Thanks for the opportunity to offer a remembrance of John Nordstrom on the occasion of his 70th birthday. I think that most people who become volunteers at Radio Catskill do it at least in part because they enjoy the others that they meet here. When you're settling into the community, you want to get to know interesting, quirky, smart people. For me, when I was a new volunteer at the station, John was just that. He was a warm individual, generous and sharing technical knowledge. He did not suffer fools, though. You always knew what he thought. He cared about the community and wanted to make sure that Radio Catskill included the rural heritage of the area. We miss him. Thanks for the chance to remember him today. Happy birthday, John. We hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers and guests. Andrea Eddings-Blue, Keith Hubbard, Sonia Hedlund, Martin Springetti, Angela Page, Barbara Demarest, Christine San Jose, Pat and Jim Sanders, Laura Silverman, Pat Kardash, Charlie Sanborn, Adrian Pachano, Bernie Klein, and myself, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Listen on air at 90.5 FM, on your phone or smart speaker, and online at wjffradio.org. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org. Hi, I'm Mimi, Radio Catskills Development Manager. Our fall fund drive starts Monday, and if you're a new listener, you might be thinking, why are they asking me for money? Well, unlike commercial radio stations with long, aggressive blocks of advertising, we're listener-supported public radio, and we're a nonprofit. We depend on listeners like you for the majority of our annual revenue. So if you've never donated or have been thinking about it, donate now at WJFFRadio.org. Thank you.